Any church named after the Apostle Paul, like ours is, should set aside at least one day each year to complain about the disciple Peter. There's just no greater way to capture the spirit of early Christianity than to egg on the rivalry between Peter and Paul. Every January, our congregation moves the feast of the conversion of St. Paul, January 25th, to the closest Sunday. And we use that feast to remember Paul's turn from persecuting early Christians to seeing the face of Christ in the persecuted. Almost exactly six months later, we move the Feast of the Transfiguration, August 6th, to the closest Sunday, which is today. In our congregation, we use this feast day for summer baptisms to celebrate how the transfigured Christ can transform us all. But the Feast of the Transfiguration is also a great opportunity to give Peter a hard time. Throughout the Gospels, Peter fails to walk on water for lack of faith. He refuses, at first, to let Jesus wash his feet. He lashes out violently and cuts the ear off of a man who came to arrest Jesus. He swears that he'll follow Jesus to the bitter end, no matter what the cost. But then he denies even knowing Jesus just hours later. Our readings today showcase one particular flaw of Peter, the really hard time he has with listening. Up on a mountain, Peter sees the face and clothing of Christ change and glow. He catches some conversation among Christ, Moses, and Elijah. But when the apparitions of Moses and Elijah begin to leave, Peter blurts out to Jesus, let's put up three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. The gospel tells us that Peter was speaking without thinking, not knowing what he said. It takes a voice from heaven to stop Peter from talking, and it tells him to listen instead. Our reading from the second letter of Peter suggests that Peter never really got that listening thing down. The letter probably isn't by Peter himself, but it takes the form in the portion we read today of what's called a testament. So it might include some of Peter's last words remembered by a later disciple. Right off the bat, we find out that Peter either misheard or misremembered something about his time on the mountaintop with Jesus. Peter insists that he was an eyewitness of the transfiguration event that he heard with his own ears a heavenly voice say these words, this is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. But if you were listening carefully to the gospel, and I know you were, <laughs> you might have noticed that the heavenly voice in that version said something different. So let's review the letter from Peter at the end of his life says that the voice said, this is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. But in Luke's gospel, the voice said, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him. I wouldn't normally give Peter or anyone else such a hard time for misremembering what he heard, but I can't help but notice that the very thing he didn't remember hearing was a heavenly voice telling him to listen. So listen to him, the voice tells Peter in the gospel. 
Peter remembers the voice talking to him about Jesus. He doesn't remember the voice telling him to do something about Jesus, to listen to him. Here in a church called St. Paul's, it's tempting to ask, why did Christ waste a vision of his glory on Peter? Why did the heavenly voice waste its breath? This vision isn't enough to give Peter courage and conviction through Christ's passion. This vision isn't enough to make Peter believe the women who first witnessed the dazzling signs of the resurrection. The voice isn't loud and clear enough for Peter to remember that it told him to listen. Of course, we could just as well ask why God wastes his glory and his breath on us. If only the signs of glory that we've seen could have a constant effect on how we act and on how we see others. But no matter how glorious the sights and sounds of holiness are in this place or on the other mountaintops that stand out in our lives, we sometimes forget what we've seen and heard what we know of the divine. My heart turns toward Peter when I consider how hard it is for Christ to transfigure the people who surround him, including me. So despite pondering the transfiguration all week long, you should have seen how irritated I was on Wednesday at someone who kept drifting into my lane at the swimming pool. I also feel for Peter when I realize that deep down, he knew just how hard it was for his eyes and ears to hold on to Christ's transformative glory. Peter's first instinct in the face of divine glory is to cram it into some kind of structure as fast as he can. He thinks that a few tents can keep Moses and Elijah from leaving. Maybe a tent could keep the vision of Christ's glory from fading. Our gospel translation calls these structures dwellings, but the word means tents. And tent is also the word that Peter uses for his own body in our passage from 2 Peter. In these, his last words, Peter says he's trying to pass along to later generations everything he can remember about Christ. Peter knows that his last chance to do this is while he's in this body or as he really puts it, in this tent. And the word that our reading translates as death actually means putting off my tent. Peter knows that he has only so long to live and to pass on whatever he can about what it was like to live in the company of Christ. The epistles or letters that survive from Peter, Paul, and other New Testament writers do their best to link us to the transfiguring power of Christ. But they inadvertently show us that there was little love lost between Paul and Peter. Paul boasts that after his very own vision of Christ, he didn't go to Jerusalem or bother to confer with the apostles who had actually known Jesus during his earthly life. When he did meet Peter three years later, Paul tells us that he opposed Peter to his face over Peter's inclusion and respect for early Christians who continued to practice Jewish law. Peter, for his part, 
didn't much care for Paul. In an early Christian source written as a letter from Peter to James, Peter, or the voice of Peter, calls Paul the man who is my enemy. And he says that Paul preaches a lawless and absurd doctrine. Peter wanted future generations of Christians to trust the testimony not of Paul, who never met Jesus, but of disciples like himself, who did know Jesus and heard his teachings firsthand. In this ministry, Peter valued the actual teachings of Christ more than Paul did, and Peter nurtured the early Christian communities of Jewish Christians who didn't thrive for long thanks to the rise of Christian anti-Semitism within decades of Jesus' death. For us later readers of Paul and Peter's letters, there has to be something between Paul's arrogant refusal to learn from the people who knew Jesus best and Peter's insistence that only eyewitness disciples could be trusted. That something is this, a vision of the transfigured Christ. What we have here in this place is an insight into the glory of God through the face of Jesus Christ. In my experience, that's an insight that sinks in only slowly, maybe over generations. And it's an insight that might shine through only occasionally in our better moments of divine love and regard for the faces of others. The transfigured face of Christ may not be something we see often or remember perfectly, but it's a guiding light in this world's darkness, just as Peter hoped it would be.